Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 166 of the Meet the Farmers podcast with me, Ben Eagle. Today, we're heading to North Yorkshire to meet the well, for the boots half of the Boots and Heels podcast team, fifth generation farmer, Rebecca Wilson. Um, her farm includes arable and sheep enterprises with some land rented out for potatoes um, before coming back to the family farm in May 2021, quite recently. Um, she worked first as a rural surveyor and then for a poultry equipment supplier. Um, she has a degree from Cambridge in human, social and political sciences and a master's in rural estate management from the Royal Agricultural University. Alongside Lizzie McLaughlin, she hosts the Boots and Heels podcast, which I'm sure many of you know, um, and that's part of the Farmers Weekly family now. Um, Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you for having me. It's really exciting to be on. I've seen some, well, heard some very exciting guests that you've had before. So yeah, very pleased to be on with you. Oh, it's always it's always great to speak to a fellow podcaster as well. So yeah, sharing some tips and having the same struggles over. Yeah, my <laughs> Wi-Fi stopped for that one. And yep, it just broke up there and nobody was saying anything. <laughs> yep. It's what it's what a podcaster's life is about. Are you having a good week? What are you up to this week? Um, this week actually not that much farming um and well we might touch on it later kind of a bit of a diversification we've turned a cottage into an airbnb oh cool so i've been doing the finishing touches to that mainly this week um which is quite exciting it's not really diversification isn't something we've really touched on on the farm um the opportunity arose and with me now being back on the farm it's not something my mum and dad would have had time for on their own so i said let's try it let's try and maximize some income coming into the farm because actually if any farmers are listening I'm sure there's a really good mix of mix of people who listen but um it's pretty tricky times and actually if we if we can find income from elsewhere it's proving really really vital at the moment yeah right where should we start um let's start with the arable enterprise first of all um and sort of tell me sort of what your rough rotation is and and, and sort of just just tell us about the, the the arable side of the farm Yep. So the farm itself, well, we farm across three blocks um, and that's across 600 acres. The, well, the, probably the best quality land is around the farm itself, which does help, um, you know, just in terms of management, it's easy to have that all around the farm, um, even just for harvest and things like that. But probably about 60 acres is down to grass for the sheep. Um, that's clover lay and permanent pasture. But on the arable side, we have a really long, long rotation and we have done for quite a while. Um, and I think it's really interesting when I speak to people and the term regenerative farming gets brought up in mm-hmm. relation to having grass mm-hmm. and having a long rotation. I think, OK, this phrase is great, but actually people have been farming like this for quite a long time. Yep. One thing I would say, though, is that if coining a phrase makes this idea of what I would call really good farming practices fashionable and something that people want to do, then we've kind of got to embrace it and it's regenerative farming isn't kind of hippies who want to make these extreme decisions about farming I would like to think that it's just good farming yeah so that's what we're doing as I said with the long rotation you mentioned about potatoes so they form part of it your usual combinable crops um peas fodder beet oilseed rape we also grow some stubble turnips to overwinter some sheep on and we do quite a bit of work with cover crops that's something we haven't been using for, haven't been using it, you know, for 10 years, but, you know, between five and 10 years, we've really been trying to bring cover crops in, 
basically to help the soils and, and all the usual benefits associated with, you know, any nitrogen fixing and, and things like that. So we're, we really like using them. It's a cost, but it's something for us that's really, you know, we've seen benefits with using them. Yeah. How's rape for you as, as a break crop? Um, because uh, you talk to people in different parts of the country and you sort of hear different stories classically with the, whatever the situation was with flea beetle. Absolutely. And last year we grew nothing. This year we grew a couple of fields. It's really interesting. So we're in the Vale of York and usually coming up to harvest, you look across the Vale and it's yellow. Yeah. The last few years, obviously, completely different. One of the main reasons we actually decided to grow rape this year is because we had really quite a bad brome problem in one of the fields. Okay. And you can't be certain, but we think it came in with some um, manure coming in from another farm. So a really tricky problem to manage. And rape just seemed to be a really good way of dealing with that, you know, chemical wise, etc. So that was one reason. We also have some other land which um, has probably been, the rotation hasn't been as good on that. And again, rape came in to break up that kind of combinables of, you know, you, we, you know, yep. it was mainly barley actually on, on this rotation. And so actually, unfortunately that rape on, on the break in the rotation hasn't done as well as we'd hoped, but it's kind of expected really when you're trying to bring the soil back into, into somewhat what, you know, what we'd like the rest of the rest of the farm to be. Okay. And you now have sheep back on the farm um, after a bit of a break away from them. Um, why did you decide to bring them back? And how, and how long did you have them before then? Good question. So there'd always been sheep on the farm. I mean, forever. Yeah. There were cattle as well. That, that is kind of the way though, isn't it? Oh, no. yeah, well, there's just always been sheep that. in those sheds, you know. <laughs> um, we did have cattle for a bit, but when my mum, so the farm actually is passed down from my um, mother's side, which okay. is quite unusual. And, right, and we do okay. get people saying, oh, you know, your dad's farm. And I'm like, well, actually, if we're being yeah. really technical here, but we, yeah, as long as I can remember, there were sheep and the generations before. The reason we went out of them, they just weren't very profitable at the time. And it's a really difficult decision to make, isn't it, when you're breaking with tradition? Mm -hmm. But actually, it Big was time. the right thing, right thing for us. The reason we've got back into them, so yeah, probably about a 10 year break is actually probably my sister's fault and I'm going to say fault because sheep are sometimes annoying aren't they um but she works at Bentham so the, on the farm I am at the moment they've literally I've spent most of my day just chasing them back into the field oh, they should be they're a nightmare aren't they <laughs> <laughs> they're hard work um but yeah so my sister works at Bentham auction market and that for anybody who doesn't know is on the Lancashire Yorkshire border and gets thousands of sheep through every week so obviously being right at the forefront of it, she kind of got that, she got a bit of a bug back really thinking, I want to have sheep again. So she started off the flock three years ago. Um, so we've lambed, well, this will be coming up our third season lambing. Um, we're up to 120. Um, so between me and my sister. So, you know, we're hardly breaking records, but it's important that we're kind of building it up on yeah. our own. We're learning. We've got the advice of my parents in the background but it's important for us to learn and understand, you know, the costs associated with it and selling at the right time and, and what sort of system that we want to kind of run. So it's, it's quite a learning curve, but as I said, with some good advice in the background. Okay. You're also uh, a Helix farm in, in partnership with your economists, um, which in essence uses 
sort of tech data innovation to, to drive forward sustainable agriculture. But I think this is actually the first time we've talked about this on, on a podcast. I mean, what actually is that and what does it involve? Yeah, so it's an idea which Hutchinson's have had for, for a few years now. And there's now seven farms across the country, which are Helix farms. And we were actually just approached by our own agronomist who said, would you like to be involved in it? And luckily, um, this was kind of before I was back on the farm, but luckily my parents have a really progressive way of thinking. And actually for them, getting involved in, as you say, the kind of technology side, the data side was kind of a no brainer. So what that actually means for us on farm is lots of trials. So that could be anything from variety trials to nitrogen use efficiency, um, which obviously this year has been really important. I mean, we've had the just off the combine results back from it, which have been actually really interesting, okay. um, but they haven't been properly published yet. And we do, you know, things with products coming to the market. So again, really important this year, um, there's a product which you can apply and supposedly it helps crops absorb nitrogen from the atmosphere, obviously reducing the need for artificial fertilizer. So there's loads of things like this, which we're lucky enough to be experiencing firsthand. Mm. There's also things that um, we can access like terramapping. So for anybody who hasn't heard of what that yes, is. say what is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's Suzuki Jimny drives across the fields with a bar on it okay. and i'm going to stop there on what the actual technology does with bouncing things back into the soil and whatever because okay. that's lost on me but it's mapping what's really in the soil so that could be ph level that could be you know your kind of trace elements um carbon and so i think what's really important what we're trying to show is that it's all right having this data but you have to use it to inform your decision making so pH, for example, we'd look at parts of the field and treat them as separate parts. Yep. And then we can variably apply our line, for example. And it's all about saving costs. So yes, you've got an initial investment in mapping your fields, but down the line, you can, as I said, use variable rates and actually make the soil work the best it possibly can without hammering everything with the same rate of lime in this in this example so um it's really interesting to be involved and yes there's sometimes some faffing around making sure you don't spray things with that and you know things like that but it's completely worth it from from our perspective yeah. um and i think the main thing going out of all this data after the decision making is the fact that we have open days to try and share this knowledge with other farmers because I think that can be a problem. And I can see exactly why farmers keep their cards close to their chest. But actually, we need to learn from each other. Um, harvest this year. So we're, we're currently, well, we're, we're currently, we are recording this on the 1st of September. So I'm guessing harvest has been long done for you. Yeah. So how was it this year for you? Um, and how's the new season looking so far? I think that's quite a good question. And I feel like you hear this kind of idea of pub yields, don't you? <laughs> And for us, actually, and I'm fairly honest or as honest as I can be, you know, without going down to the absolute, you know, point, whatever of a ton, I try and be quite honest when I tell people. And actually for us, we've been quite down on yields across the board. So our peas, for example, we budgeted for around, well, just over five tons a hectare. That's what we would be, you know, be happy with. And we got just under four. So obviously translating that sort of percentage yield drop we're you know it's not good but it's not all bad 
harvest was smooth and it was easy and it was stress-free. It's really hard. And, and my dad did say the other day, I'd take every harvest like that just because of the toll on, on your tiredness and the fact that you, d- you don't stop. And, you know, when you have breaks for weather, you don't just have a rest. If it's raining, you'll be drying corn or you'll be doing some other job. So actually to get harvest wrapped up quickly does make life easy. And again, we have these conversations. If we could predict that it was going to be this sort of time period every year, we could actually make arrangements and maybe yield wouldn't be so impacted, but it's that unpredictability, which is difficult. Mm. Um, And yeah, so thoughts going into this year? Good question. We've got um, we've got raping, stubble turnips in, some cover crops in. Okay. Um, we have definitely had conversations about do we change, you know, acreages? Do we change what we grow? And I think if we weren't part of Helix, where there is a bit more direction on what we need, and you know, we want some specific crops around the farm for open days, I think we might have had more change in what we grow and I'm definitely seeing it on the ground with other farmers who can't afford to put you know crops in the ground so I think we're in a slightly different position but we still have those conversations about next year okay um let's talk a little bit about you um what's it like being back on the farm um because you've obviously you've got away you've come back and uh you've been well you've you've, you've done you've done what well I suppose two two harvests so far haven't you yep yep so being back on the farm, so if I, the reason I came back to the farm, and it was maybe always in my plan, I would say there is quite a draw to coming back to farming. Um, my dad actually couldn't drive for six months um, due to illness. Oh, wow. So it was going to be over harvest. It was going to be, I mean, just an unbelievably tricky time to manage. Blimey. And I mean, all well now, absolutely fine. Good. But that six months was a bit of a turning point in terms of, what do we do? Did my sister come back? Um, but obviously she's, you know, settled in a job quite, you know, an hour and a half away. Um, did we employ someone else? But then we couldn't guarantee necessarily a job after. Would it just be the six months? How would it work? Or did I come back? And actually, I was still living at home and it just really worked. It was always with a view that actually, if working back home was really, really tricky, and it is, I can't say it's all easy every day because it's not yeah but there was always a view that I could go out and get another job if it didn't work I could just help tide the farm over but actually well probably about 80 months a bit longer and I don't think I'm ever going to leave yeah you'll say not looking back yet (laughs) (laughs) my mum and dad are stuck with me now (laughs) um but being back on the farm I think one thing I would say is I've been kind of pleasantly surprised by almost the reception I've got because I've come back, you know, a young female, you know, what are you doing coming back to the farm? And actually, did you, sorry, did, did, did you get, did you get any of that? Do you know what? Every now and then you get kind of situations. For example, if there's a wagon, which needs something lifting off and I walk down the yard with a load of keys in my hands being like, Oh, you know, what is it? What, you know, whatever. I've had the kind of, oh, are you actually going to be able to lift that off without stabbing the pallet arms through my wagon kind of thing? But actually, people, I genuinely think they're quite receptive. I actually think people are then not shocked, but pleasantly surprised. And they're like, oh, actually, why did I doubt it? 
And I would definitely say I'm probably a bit slower than some of my, if I look at, you know, my male counterparts in Young Farmers, but actually I haven't even been back on the farm two years. They could have been working there since they were full-time since 16 or 18. So it's not being female, it's experience. So I'll get there. Exactly. Um, But I would say, you know, like suppliers and reps and, and people like that are just really happy to support the next generation. Yeah. And I think that's the main thing because, you know, we're all, we we all have a job to do going forward. So on the whole, I, I feel quite positive about it. Good. Well, um, uh, let's go back a bit. Uh, what was life like growing up on the farm? I mean, I guess growing up on a farm, it's, it's kind of a stereotypical childhood dream, I guess, yeah. isn't it? Um, and my sister and I, so she's a twin. So yeah, uh, I, I, I learned, I, I learned really recently, uh, I think in, in researching this, that you were twins. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, we kind of were lucky in that we were this very well, the same age, which meant that we were interested in the same things the whole way through growing up. So, you know, it was hens and sheep and horses and, you know, we had very similar interests, but the farm itself, we still did a fair amount of work. And I remember in lambing time, we'd be desperate to hope that we woke up early to manage to go out first thing with my mum or my dad, whoever was doing the early shift (laughs) to go out and and make sure we could do lambing. And then remember you'd go off to school and you'd be like, well, nobody else has got sheep poo on their skirt, have they? Or, you know, but that was just, that was just how it was. And it was, it was the best life. And I genuinely think, and it is a bit cliche to say, but I think you learn some really good lessons about working hard and, responsibility and you know if if my sister and I didn't get up and you know let the horses out or muck or or feed up or whatever that wouldn't get done and I think it's a really good lesson in life to have that you know from an early age but it's it's lucky to be able to have that not everybody has that chance yeah what kind of school did you go to were there many farm kids at your school there were a lot of quite rural and a lot of horsey children but not as many people were actually involved in farming yeah but people were still quite receptive to it actually and I think it's the sort of thing when your mum and dad can bring a lamb in on you know Friday afternoons or something you, you can be quite cool in in your class quite quickly can't you that you yeah. know this is whatever lamb called whatever and you have all the knowledge about it but quite a mix I would say rural but not actually farming okay and did you grow up what did you grow up wanting to be a farmer at any point um, obviously, yeah, you, you always speak to farmers as their sort of teenage years and they, they definitely fall into one of two camps. <laughs> so that is a really good question because I wrote an article a little while ago and I said, and I was starting off kind of, you know, back in the day. And I said to my mum and dad, I said, did I ever, what did I want to be when I was little? Because usually it's, oh, well, I want to be a fireman or, yep. you know, an astronaut or yep. those kind of, you know, quite important and, yep. and well-known jobs. They were like, well, no, actually, you didn't. You didn't really. I never really wanted to be any of those other things. Mm. It was always farming, which I guess. And I'm thinking if we're moving on throughout my life, there's probably questions about maybe why I chose the things I did to study and whatever at university. Well, yeah. I mean, let's let's move on to that. I mean, personally, yeah, I've, I, I find I find people from who have sort of diverse both educational and sort of other experience backgrounds coming back into farming fascinating. So, I mean, you, you went to Cambridge to study human, social, and political sciences. So, I, I'm assuming at that point that you weren't in, interested in an agricultural career necessarily, but maybe maybe you still were. 
So that's a, a really good question. I am just glad that you didn't say, so what is human, social and political science? <laughs> I'm like, can't really remember, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, you could answer that if you want. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but I would say farming was definitely in the back of my mind. So it was a case of when I'd go back, not if. But I did well at school. Yeah. And I was going to say, was, clearly. Yeah, it was definitely <laughs> the kind of route that was... I'd say expected of me, to be honest, right. um, to go to university. I think the thing is, I think the subject, it sounds broad and it is broad. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah. I couldn't say, yes, I want to go and study chemistry or French or math because I didn't have a clue. All I knew is that actually with the grades I had, I probably should try and pursue something at university. So that offered me, as I said, the broadest kind of, way to do university I knew I wouldn't get bored with it and then as I said I didn't envisage coming back to the farm as soon as I did but it was always it was always a thought but I did have this kind of idea that go off to uni I'd you know earn absolutely loads of money and I'd come back to the (laughs) farm and just be able to be like oh well you know I'm farming as a hobby now yeah Uh, but that hasn't (laughs) quite happened (laughs) um and after cam um you went to the REU uh, to do the estate management course. Um, So take me sort of back to that point where I suppose you were looking at the course, you were thinking about going down that line and your reason you've graduated from Cambridge, you could have been with that degree, you could go in loads of different directions. Um, So why, why estate management and why Sarah Ancestor? Genuinely at the time when I finished Cambridge, I was considering going to London. Everybody was going to London. I thought, do you know what? I really want to be with my friends. I kind of liked the idea of the London life in theory. I liked partying. I liked being with people all the time. Um, I mean, that's quite the opposite now. But anyway, (laughs) no, I still like partying, but I just spend a lot of time on my own. Um, But it was genuinely the choice between going to London and getting this kind of big career or do I want to go back and try and get something more agricultural? And I guess... To go back to, to go to Siren was going back to agricultural roots. Yeah. And I think the wider thing about Siren is that one, you're going to be there with like-minded people. You know, I've got friends who I speak to really quite often. But two, the Siren Sester name, if you were trying to get a job and you can't deny it, it's really, really helpful yeah. to have that background and those connections and that kind of networking. And it is genuinely sometimes about who you know. And, you know, you might go in, in, into an interview in that kind of rural land management sector. And the chances are your interviewer probably went to Siren as well. Yeah. So it's a bit potentially that's too closed off, but it helped at the time when I was there. So after that, you worked as a surveyor in Oxfordshire for a time. Um, yeah. Tell me about that. So the master's I did was RICS accredited. So it was kind of a natural step that I would go into surveying and I think one thing I did slightly differently is that whilst I was there, everybody else was applying for jobs to go straight into. And I was just, I was basically enjoying myself too much. I didn't really (laughs) want to leave to have to go to interviews and prepare for them. And I thought, actually, I've had quite an intense few years beforehand. And I thought, you know what? It is fine. I don't have to rush into it. And it was quite an intense environment of, if people don't know you, in the surveying in the land agency surveying world jobs get announced like on the same day for a kind of a host of companies and it's really quite tricky like it's Mm. 
I just didn't really want to get involved in that. And obviously everybody, all my friends didn't, you know, happy in their jobs all sorted, but it just wasn't, it, the job application thing kind of passed me by and I'm yeah. not unhappy about it. Um, but then ended up, I came back to, home to Harvest and then thought, oh gosh, probably can't do this forever because obviously I wasn't formally back working there um, and got this job in Oxfordshire in surveying, but specializing in utilities. And I think one thing for me, I was kind of on the other side of the fence because we worked on behalf of the utility company and were acting against the landowners and farmers. Fascinating. And it was weird. It was tricky. It was yeah, hard. I bet that really was. Um, and so I did a lot in compensation claims. And that was tricky because I'm thinking, well, some farmers almost don't even know that they have a compensation claim there. Some farmers might have kind of over or under calculated but obviously if they'd under calculated then it, it, I couldn't really go in and say oh well I'd like to give you thousands of pounds more yeah so it was a really tricky thing and I thought the, the farmers who sometimes underestimated their compensation claims were probably the ones who were struggling the most and who actually really wanted to give more but obviously you could give more up to the fair level and what we calculated but sometimes I was like oh I'd just love to just give them some money you know and, and help them through a tricky time but um yeah it was really really interesting but well as I, I didn't know it would happen but I just thought I want to be back in Yorkshire I want to come yeah. back up north and that was when you joined Venkomatic the yeah, poultry equipment supplier yeah um, that's right and so so were you were you sort of actively looking for jobs back back in back up north or no, so I finished kind of around Easter and then again did a harvest at home. I feel like these things always coincide with the busy time at home. Be like, oh yeah, yeah you're just gonna just gonna help out now. Um, and then again, I got to the stage where I thought, well, I'm not really formally employed, probably running out of money now, um, and started looking for jobs. And yep, ended up with Venkomatic, which I think is quite an eye opener to go into another sector. And I, sometimes you do get asked, oh, you know, what would you say? to farmers or whatever and one of the things I say is it's really useful to understand you know if you're a sheep farmer understand arable or mm. you know if you farm cattle understand poultry and I think one of the reasons for that is that they all work together so you know feed price might be high how does that impact poultry farmers who rely on it all the time and absolutely I think it's just a whole world approach which is really really important you know there's more beyond just what you're doing on your farm. Um, tell us a little bit about Venkomatic as, as a company and, and your sort of um, your, your time there. So I started off in, well, what they'd call customer services, but it was kind of helping to run the engineers, fielding, basically breakdowns. So not easy because okay. breakdowns never happen at the right time. Mm. But And there's a lot of stake. It could be 30,000 eggs, which, you know, are you going to have to collect them by hand or whatever? So. <laughs> That was a really good thing. And actually, I think companies which start you off actually learning one, even just customers' names and where they're located, but two, a few bits and bobs about how equipment runs actually really helps for if you move into other areas of the business. So then, I mean, they have a real focus on kind of high welfare, their environment, and they're really leading in particularly the welfare side. It's pretty amazing what, what they're doing. Um, you know, a hen isn't just a hen. There is so much to it, which I learned. Mm. Um, but stint in the customer services bit. And then I went into project management really and started on some renewables, which was really interesting. Okay. Also the kind of main projects, but I was really early days in that I was just starting out. So I wouldn't say I ever really got my teeth into, you know, anything, you know, a big project before I obviously had to come back to the farm. Yeah. But while you were there, 
you met Lizzie and um, you started Boots and Heels. Yeah. Um, Tell me about, tell me about that first meeting with her, first of all, if you could remember that um, and how, and how your sort of friendship sort of started um, and then how that led into Boots and Heels quite a lot in that. But yeah, if you can sort of take me through that process. So the thing about Venkomatic is that it's not, not everybody in the company is a farmer or even has any kind of agricultural background. And I think that maybe is the nature of poultry as well, because it is quite specialised, it is quite niche. So you're not necessarily going to get people who've worked in the poultry industry coming into that job. You have to use other skills and then just mm. apply them to it. So it wasn't a surprise when Lizzie wasn't from a farming background. Um, she was working in the marketing department. And we'd end up and I'd say in our tea breaks, we didn't have tea breaks all the time, I promise. Um, but we just get chatting. And I I worked upstairs and she worked downstairs. So if I ever came down to the kitchen, I'd just pop my head in. And then, you know, as I said, on our unofficial tea breaks. Um, but we'd get chatting about farming and she'd just have a lot of questions for me. Yeah. And I just never really considered that. Well, effectively, her consumer perspective of what goes on on the farm I hadn't considered it at all really all I would Mm. be like well why can't they just buy what what we produce but I want consumers to actually understand the process now I've learned a bit more that actually you can't expect somebody to be invested in something they don't understand Mm. and haven't actually maybe been given the opportunity to understand we as farmers maybe aren't as good it's getting better but aren't as good as we need to be at engaging with the public um, so we can't just say, oh, buy British without saying, oh, well, actually, this is how we treat this animal from birth um, through to market. Or this is how we deal with our crops, you know, with at every state, at every growth stage. So I think, it, yeah, as I said, it was an eye opener. Um, and Lizzie did come up with the podcast idea. Okay. Not going to lie. Didn't even really know what a podcast was. I mean, yeah. I could hardly use my laptop, let's be honest. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when, 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 when was this as well? So this was just, uh, this would have been probably January 2020. Yeah, so this is just literally just pre-COVID. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's why a podcast worked, because we're doing exactly what we're doing now. Yeah. It's remote, you can be anywhere. And actually, I mean, we've both got our microphones now, but even if you don't have this microphone you could record record a podcast yeah. and do everything from from home so that's you know the way that it, it really worked in that it, it could reach so many people as a podcast so we just thought well to be fair Lizzie's Lizzie was bold about it she was like let's just message these people on Instagram and I was like okay I'd hardly <laughs> really used Instagram um, I'd posted about three photos in five years not a clue yeah. and actually it was quite good advice from Lizzie really just well, we can try. They can only say no. So, you know, yeah. we've got people like Will that's, Evans. That's quite good advice for life, to be honest. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Will Evans, Rock and Roll Farming, um, the Chief Shepherdess, yep. you know, people who are quite prominent in yeah. kind of farming and social media. And they said yes. But I think that's something which Lizzie and I have been constantly amazed by in that obviously some people can't fit our visits in or our recordings in, which is absolutely fine. But for everybody who've been to see, it's amazing how much time they'll give up. And particularly when we've gone out, now it's turned into this YouTube series. When we've gone out to their farm, we're not just there an hour. We're there all day. And it's yeah. come in for tea, do you want cake? Like, you're just welcomed into the farm and the family. And it's amazing. 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the guests have just made it really. Um, yeah, it's been yeah. fantastic. No, see, I see. And also, honestly, I mean, I'm sure that lots of people listening will, will have seen your stuff. But again, your approach. I mean, some, some of your recent stuff with Ali uh, Hunter Blair, for example, that visit and and the, the and the challenges that you do together and. It just it works. Your relationship between each other is that comes across so strongly. Uh, I mean, it has grown very, very quickly um, in, in in quite a sort of relatively short amount of time, I suppose. And you're now affiliated uh, to Farmers Weekly. So tell me about how that relationship sort of started. So um, that actually came about when Lizzie um, got a job at Farmers Weekly. So she's I think she's community editor. Don't want to get that yeah, wrong. I'm, I'm pretty sure she is. It's yeah, community editor. Sure yeah. Is. So. Um, obviously the farmers weekly already have their own podcast and it was kind of like right well how will lizzie being involved in boots and heels work with the farmers weekly podcast Mm. what will happen and there were different kind of discussions about how will it fit and actually we we just came to the kind of you know everybody who's involved in the decision and that actually boots and heels does need to stand on its own it couldn't be a segment on the farmers weekly podcast for example because it's a completely different message and we're targeting a slightly different audience you're quite different to johan and and Hugh as well so yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) not that the farmers weekly podcast isn't amazing oh it is i was gonna say it's yeah just diff. it's just different isn't it and and actually for us to be given the freedom which we completely were i mean it's amazing that farmers weekly were that flexible with with Lizzie and I to choose what we talked about and who we visited and you know they haven't really had any say in anything because they're like do you know what if we start steering it we could lose some of what some you know some of what you're trying to achieve mm. um so in terms of yeah so again you've, you've just released a load of new material plans for going forward can you tell us anything really good question um because it's really hard because it has happened so quickly yeah and I kind of think, oh, just over a year ago. I mean, I was, I didn't know what a podcast was. Yeah. So one thing that Lizzie and I are very keen to do is continue a bit more with education. So okay. that's how to maybe approach a bit more of a younger audience. And there's loads of discussions all the time of, you know, just ideas floating around. Um, but one thing, another thing that we're, we're really keen to do, and we actually have quite a few booked in is speaking events and, that's a multitude of audiences, sometimes all farming, sometimes a mixture. Um, so I think that's quite important because it's getting our name out there into another group of people. Yep. Um, and hopefully with our name comes our message about basically supporting British farming. Yeah. Um, so with those, are you thinking farming audiences or non-farming audiences? Um, a mixture. So they're not all released yet. Um, but for example, we're speaking at a sheep breeders society dinner, yep. which... For me, I feel completely, well, speaking is quite difficult, isn't it, in public, but I feel in my comfort zone with the kind of audience, which stereotypically will probably be more male and older. Whereas actually, Lizzie's a bit like, oh, well, you know, it's not really our demographic. I'm like, yeah, but actually, this is a really good opportunity Mm -hmm. for us to kind of showcase that we can do something, we can make a difference. And I think one thing we're hoping to touch on at that one probably in particular is mental health. And the reason that's important is that if you had, for example, a feed rep came out or a nutritionist, if they started talking about mental health at this stage, unfortunately, I don't think it would be very well received. 
And I'm not saying that's right, but I don't think that that relationship that they have there in that speaking event really works. Mm -hmm. However, when Lizzie and I come in a bit different and we've got kind of almost proven work that we've done before absolutely, in terms of mental health, I feel like we're in quite a good place to talk about it. And hopefully coming from a slightly different face might be a good thing. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for, you know, your feed reps, your vets and whatever, because they have a really important relationship with farmers. And actually they could be the only person they see on farm in days or weeks. But at that event, I really hope that Lizzie and I are in a really good place to talk about it. And on that subject, we're actually presenting at um, a Mind Your Head charity ball as well. Okay. With yellow wellies. So things like that for us are really important. So, you know, what are we, you know, we don't necessarily get anything personally, individually out of that, apart from having a fantastic night. Yeah. But it's what we can hopefully bring in just that wider message. And people say, oh, do you know what? We can just talk about that. That fantastic. is fine. And there is a really, really long way to go. And sometimes it's really hard to see kind of people around you who you know are struggling. Mm-hmm. but it's really hard to get through to them because the nature of our job is that you you don't talk about it. You yeah. soldier on because your animal's more important. Your machinery is more important. Your wheat that you've just drilled is more important. And until we slightly get out of that mindset, we've still got a lot of work to do. Yeah, no, completely. It is, yeah. I mean, it's it's right at the early stages still. It's only be the last yeah, a couple of years, I would say it definitely that it's, it's it's even most platforms have started engaging with it, um, yeah. but it's there's a long way from it filtering into into the day to day. But yeah, but I think yeah, we will get we will get there, um, and it's definitely I always find certainly conversations on the podcast about mental health. I'm so pleased that people are yeah. opening up far more, and I think it does have to be a conversation which just keeps on going. Yeah. You know, it's like the it's like the mind your head week. That's fantastic, but it has to be every week of the year. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget that, myself included, you know, mm. because you just keep you just keep going, but it just needs to be a continuous conversation, basically. Yeah. What about I mean, obviously through through Beats and Heels, you are uh, doing uh, more than more than most probably when it comes when it comes to public engagement. But do you have any advice for other farmers who might want to do something um, but aren't sure how to start when it t- comes to engaging with the public? It's not something which comes naturally to farmers because you do spend a lot of time on your own. You probably haven't done lots of things, you know, with the public. And I'm not even talking about public speaking. I'm talking about just seeing the public. It's yeah. not something that you do. So I think I would say be bold and be honest. And I would relate that to my own kind of engaging with the public on social media because as I said earlier I I posted about three things on Instagram it wasn't for me and that first post I did was really really hard most of my followers were definitely not from a farming background you worry about how well these things will be received but that's kind of the be bold part just go for it and the be honest part is some of my posts and stories which show probably the trickier side of farming the difficulties we all love going out on a big shiny tractor but that's just not the full story and the realities of when I've shown that have actually gone down way better I've had way more engagement with them so a little while ago I had a sheep which wasn't very well tried a few treatments with the vet and then actually it had to be put down and so I put 
this on a story, talked about kind of how good the vet had been, how we tried everything, basically how that sheep had only cost us. It, we hadn't earned anything financially, but it was still important for our own, you know, personal peace of mind for our the wider notion of animal welfare that we tried and the engagement I got with that was massive compared to you know a post with like a nice tractor but that's why in most of the things that I put online I try and have some message obviously this you know I posted when I went to the races but I try and have some underlying message but delivered in quite a straight down the line but easy to understand way but it is it's not easy because the public the public are unfortunately coming from a perspective where they're not lucky like us to have been on farm most days of their life so the learning process is big you know I don't know the ins and outs of a lawyer's job or an accountant's job exactly so Mm. we learning takes time yeah it's I think it's a really good point so I, I asked you before before the show um in the sort of research process for this about what you think the biggest challenges are um in ag and one of the things you mentioned was accessibility um into the industry for younger people um especially those not from a farming background so from where you're coming from what do you think that can actually be practically done about this at the moment um and is there anything that any of uh the listeners either to this podcast or your podcast um, might be able to do to help um, even in a small way? I think the first thing when you say in a small way, that's such an important point because we're not going to be able to offer hundreds of thousands of jobs in farming and agriculture tomorrow. Just not possible. Yeah. The process is going to be, as you say, small steps. And a small something that might seem a small way to you actually could pretty much change someone's life. So I think it does link on to the point, you know, we were just talking about, about being honest about our industry and what actually is required of you in the industry. Um, Some of the portrayals are maybe a bit unrealistic when it actually comes down to you you haven't slept for however long. Your last meal was literally 12 hours ago. That kind of thing I do think we need to be really honest about because... Otherwise, when people do come into the industry, it's a shock and obviously they they could struggle. But I think one thing which is really important is that if farmers are open, so if somebody did come and try and approach you for work experience, for an apprenticeship or anything, I think we do kind of have a duty to engage with them as much as possible. And actually nowadays, farms, and actually it's a point Ali Hunter-Blair made, he's basically kitted out his farm to be a one-man band. so that he can do most of the stuff on his own. So actually, yes, if somebody just comes to your farm and says, I would really like to come and work on your farm or have work experience or whatever, sometimes the time doesn't allow, but the system doesn't allow either. But in that sense, what about your farmer friend down the road? Maybe they're looking for someone to come and milk on Saturday mornings or something. So I think don't just accept that the opportunity ends with you. There's potentially a lot more that you can do that's for those individuals who maybe want to actually work on a farm but wider than that offer a farm walk mm-hmm. go and speak to a school you know call up your local primary school and say i've got some lambs or i can bring some calves in do you want me to come and talk about milk we can all do a tiny thing like that and yes it takes time yes we're busy but i don't think we can complain about to be honest at times the quite dire state of british agriculture if we don't all do a little tiny bit 
Tell me about the NFU Student and Young Farmers Ambassador Programme. Yeah, so this is it's a year long program and I am an ambassador for 2022. Um, I'll get told off if I don't say that applications are now open. <laughs> Um, if you want to uh, <laughs> if you want to apply um, but the application process is a bit of a written kind of basically a CV and then if you get through you go to an interview and that's it it's a really simple process and I guess the aim of the program is to bring together um, students and young farmers so you know the younger generation it's a group of really like-minded people quite a cliched phrase but we all really want the same things when it comes to farming and we go out and do things such as well we've done training to go into schools when september well september now isn't it but when schools are back back, yeah scary um (laughs) to go into schools um we were lucky enough to go to the nfu conference back earlier in the year which was amazing there's things like the lord mayor's show um in london which is a big deal and then there's a whole host of kind of things which just crop up through the year so for example, I went on a photo shoot with the Jubilee Massey Ferguson tractor. Cool. Um, and as an offshoot of that and the people I met there, I got asked to go to an Agco panel discussion where farmers spoke to the marketing team at Agco. So I think what I would say is the opportunities genuinely keep on coming. Um, and yes, we have these duties that we're expected to do, but you get a lot out of it as an individual and the NFU will help push anything that you're maybe doing um if it's something they can share on their social media or you know you get writing training and social media training so there's so much stuff basically going on and obviously I would say this but it was really amazing and I've got a few months left and it is a really good opportunity and actually I've come on it pretty much as old as you can be going on it if you're just if you're still at university or or, you know, really early days, even just think like what it does for your CV and your skills to go into your next jobs yeah. and the platform that you can build for yourself as a result. Um, yeah, it's massive and it, it is what you make it. And, and that, that's the reason I did my first farming Instagram post because huh. I thought the NFU would be looking to okay. us as the younger generation to maybe promote some messages. Wow. And I thought, we, well, I'm going to have to we, do We it. all know where that led, so... <laughs> 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 that's amazing oh, that's a super um, plug thanks for that um let's bring this back to your farm actually and your family i mean what's you've already mentioned as we all know there are there are lots of challenges about at the moment um but for your business particularly what's your challenge and 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 i suppose where are you going in the future i mean it's the biggest question isn't it it definitely is um for us right here right now it's input costs basically it's that budgeting element and that idea of forecasting which most businesses take as a given that you can forecast and you can plan what's going to happen and the fact that we obviously are kind of faced with some pretty monumental price rises Mm. but the price you know the futures price is actually not even close to covering these prices so that that idea of margins is a really scary thought and it does definitely affect decision making as you go forward as I said before we haven't changed as much as maybe other farmers but for me individually it makes me question have I made the right decision coming back to the farm I genuinely sometimes think and I worry about it quite a bit but I genuinely think I could be earning a lot of money 
I could yeah. have fairly predictable hours. They might be long, but they'd be predictable. And yet I've taken myself back to the farm. And I do question that sometimes, but actually a lot of young farmers are really willing to come back to the farm because we believe in what we produce. We believe yep. in what we're doing for animal welfare. We believe in what we're doing for the environment. So I truly, truly think, and I have to be optimistic because you wouldn't be a farm if you weren't, that this has to kind of come full circle. And, and we do see positives, you know, in, in COVID, there was a real flurry of support for British farmers. And some of that still remains, not as much as I'd like, but some of that still remains. So albeit we see these input costs rising, you don't know how you're going to pay some bills. I just really, really hope that we'll get the support we need from the public and dare I even say it's some kind of government support, whatever that looks like going forward. Mm. And I couldn't even say what that's going to be, but hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing at all. To I think it's actually a healthy thing to question as well. I think I think it's it's something that we should all do far more of just yeah. because life isn't static. Things move on. And it means by questioning, it means you're really valuing what you're doing and you're questioning where you're going. So ultimately, you will end up in the best possible route. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's quite a nice way of looking at it. When I'm worrying, I'll think, actually, no, do you know what? I'm in the right place. If I'm yeah. worrying, I'm going to be in the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we always, a couple of times, time oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. time has really flown. Wow. I told you I talk, it's my job. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I haven't lost, I, yeah, listeners, I haven't actually looked at the clock, I've just looked at the clock in the rest, we've been, yeah, we've been talking quite a lot of such my time. Uh, but yeah, we always finish the show with the same two questions, which I'm going to ask you now. Um, the first is, Rebecca, what is your message for the public? I would say basically everything I'm kind of pushing already with boots and heels and social media, but to put that into a sentence, I'd say buy British, but also work hard. And it, some of it will be hard work. Work hard to understand what goes into what we're producing. Um, and, you know, you can't Google the answers to farming. So I appreciate it's not just like looking something up. But, you know, it might be listening to podcasts like this. It might be looking on social media. There's an absolute host of YouTubers out there who are showing exactly yeah. what's going on on farm. So take a bit of time and just learn. Like learning's a really good thing, whether it's farming or something else. So, yeah, learn. And then you know why you're buying British. Brilliant. And this is always an interesting one. What's your message for farmers? Mm, I've got a lot I could say. <laughs> I bet you do. Um, <laughs> but work together. And that's not just that's not just actual physical farm work if you're, you know, sharing a tractor, but it's actually potentially offering emotional support. It's offering something social, like, do you want to go for a pint tonight? It's been a long day. Mm. Also share knowledge. There's so many ways we can work together and we really, really should be doing it because you'll probably feel better at the end of this conversation, whether it was about, oh, why are you using that drill? Or is it, oh yeah, are you actually really okay with you know, that I know you're really struggling financially with that, you know, mm -hmm. you'll feel better at the end of the conversation, whichever path it takes. Um, and then the other one, if I'm allowed kind of two messages, yeah, sure. is um, build relationships with people who you have to be involved with, not necessarily farmers, but on the farm. So your vet, your tractor dealer, your, your, your nutritionist, anybody, anybody like that, because it's harder in this day and age than, you know, probably for my parents and before, but actually they're some of your most valuable assets as a farmer. And if you work with them, 
they'll be much more willing to give you more knowledge and spend the time with you, you know, understanding everything. Like our nutritionist, we got on really, really well with him, comes for a cup of tea. And actually our sheep look better than ever because we've really worked on something together. He's mm-hmm. as invested as we are. So yeah, those two points work together and then work with people outside the farm. Amazing. Um, and finally, and this is a new thing on the podcast, uh, any uh, farming related podcast, blog or social media account that you would like to give a little plug to? I'd say I'm quite lucky because obviously we've met loads of people yeah, in farming. who absolutely. are So, I, I mean, I, I can hardly pick one, but it's somebody who we were meant to visit when we went to Scotland, but the ferries were a nightmare. So we were meant to go to Aaron and it's Wallace Curry and he the r2k podcast yeah he's a lecturer at siuc as well and he's just been really supportive of lizzie and i like before you even get to the whole what he's doing for farming and educating he's just genuinely very supportive of us and what we're doing and i think there can be competition between podcasts and you know people on social media and actually yeah, that is just not the right be. not yeah. right way to go no <laughs> Some, yeah um so yeah he was he's great and we haven't met him in person yet but fingers crossed we might do nice um wow we will leave it there um but yeah massive thank you um Rebecca, for coming on the show honestly it's yeah and I'm, I'm sure we could probably we could probably keep talking for another hour uh, but we should probably leave it then because uh, partly else i've got to edit it down <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah how, how do people follow you um or boots and heels um, on socials as well um so boots and heels is at boots and heels uk and then i am i always get the numbers wrong but rebecca wilson and i want to say it's 722 on instagram (laughs) so but yeah just keep up to date i try and be as honest as possible and yeah just show quite a bit of my life amazing well honestly it's been it's been an honor having you on here so thanks so much thank you for having me Thank you very much for listening. Um, In the usual way, please do subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're using. Um, Share it on your socials and please tag us um, in it at MTF underscore podcast. Um, A quick mention of what's happening this week on our sister podcast, Rural Business Focus. Um, I'll be joined by digital marketing specialist Millie Fife, um, and we'll be talking about how uh, to improve your business's online presence. Um, So that's out on Tuesday this week. Uh, Next week on Meet the Farmers, we'll be talking forces farming um, with the fantastic Jeremy Gibbs, who's honestly, he's been such a longstanding supporter of this podcast. um, And uh, I'm also a massive fan of the work that he's doing. So it'll be great to finally have him on. Um, So he's next week. Um, I hope you can join me then. I'm Ben Eagle. This has been Meet the Farmers. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope you all have a great week.